I'm going to start off by saying all cops are bad. <laughs> Good place to start this app. This is a hard one right off the bat. <laughs> like immediately. This is a weird episode. It's okay. First off, I forgot which episode this was. One of those that I forgot happened this early on, honestly. Yes, and so close to Derek's episode. Yeah. That was four I forgot. I really thought this episode was like a season three or something, maybe like a four. No, it's right up here in season two. Yeah, it's pretty early on, which is crazy. And it's a rough one. It's a rough one. Every time it comes on, I get a lot of feelings. And just like, (sighs) I don't know what the message of this episode is. They talk about a lot of things, this app. They really, they really try and like, Get their finger in quite a lot of quite a lot of different pies here. I, you know, we joke about the whole build your own iceberg. This uh-huh, truly yeah. is one of those episodes. They say nothing of substance, but they give you a lot of ingredients for that cake. They give you a lot of ingredients for your cake, but they do not tell you how to bake it. No, they don't tell you how to bake it. And... Honestly, the recipe isn't appetizing. It's a bad it's one. It's not a good... Yeah, no, it's not... Yeah, I said no. the rest of the season was bangers because I thought this was a different episode, but now that I've watched it, I'm like, imagine coming off the high of revelations and then you get this piece of shit episode. We really had, like, we had a good streak going, too. Yeah. We had Profiler Profiled. We had... No way out, big game revelations. Like, yeah, we had a we've had a good thing going here for quite a while. And next episode is a big one; it's a staple of the series. But this episode, bad, bad up, bad up. You bad know what's up. not bad though? You know what's really good, actually? What's really good? Our theme song. Great. <laughs> the way I didn't even dare to breathe. I was like, oh shit. Shopping it, you're getting it, you're you're getting it. We're seeing. We're, it's you know. It's We're gorgeous. seeing. <laughs> hey B, would you like to do a podcast? Any old podcast? James, I would love to do a podcast. I would love to do our podcast, Wheels Up, where we talk about season two, episode sixteen of Criminal Minds: Fear and Loathing. Fear and loathing not in Las Vegas, in Connecticut. Fear and loathing in Connecticut. I know what reference you were trying to make, but I don't think it was funny, so I'm not deigning it with any sort of, like, response. I mean, I I wasn't trying to make a joke. I was pointing out the fact that they called it fear and loathing and then said it in Connecticut and not fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Isn't it two different words in Las Vegas? No, it's the Johnny Depp movie, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. 
In, okay, yeah, it is Las Vegas. Okay. I thought, for some reason, I thought it wasn't loathing. No, it is. I'll trust you on cultural references, I guess. Thanks. I feel like you have anything, if it's like, I feel like with references, if it's like pre-2018, you got me. And then after that, if you need like new terrible web dramas, you need niche internet memes, that's what you got your boy B for. That's what you got me for. That's why I'm here. Dad references. I've got the queer history references, and I've got the early 2000s internet references, and anything that means anything, that's you. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> if you need to know, like, in-depth opinions on, like, some new queer ship from some fucking streaming service only show, I got you. That's me. Yeah. That's what your boy B's here for. You want to know Alison Bechtel's hometown? That's me. <laughs> that's your boy James. <laughs> yeah pretty much together we can make one full pop culture podcast (laughs) we are like the world's shittiest sailor scouts yeah (laughs) we are captain planet (laughs) you know what we both have though what tiktok trends neither of us i do not have I'm so sorry. No, but we do. We say TikTok trends all the time. I say them because I don't realize they're from TikTok. I say them because they're wider internet trends. I don't even have a TikTok account. I know. It murders me, actually. I want to send you shit all the time. (laughs) You can just send me a link. Like, I'll click a link, you know? (laughs) I'm just sending it to you via Discord. Ugh. Okay. Yeah. Texting you anyway, should we talk about this episode of, of Criminal Minds? Because, like, I guess sooner we do it, the sooner we can be done talking okay. about this terrible episode of Criminal Minds. Yeah, so here's some serious. I guess we should trigger warnings for racial stuff, police nonsense. A lot of nonsense. A lot the of nonsense. Police nonsense. Yeah. A lot of race stuff this episode that's very, like, half-baked. There are, okay. I have a few specific moments that I really dislike. And I'll save most of the talking about the specific moments when we get there. But they very much leave the message of this episode up to your personal relationship with race and the police. Because you could watch this and it could be like, the cops are good, it's random citizens who are bad, it's not about race, see, the killer's black. Or you could watch this and be like, there is a problem in American society wherein one, I hate to say like one violent black person, but like one black person committing crimes is enough of a reason to shoot any black person you see. But at the same time, when the case is about race, when you know the su- that the message is out there, the suspect is a black man in a black car, don't you, two black men, 
start sneaking around people's backyards with your gun out. But it also, was... no one should just be shooting other people. Yeah. You know? It's it's also weird, like, why were you not wearing your vest? Uh, you know what this really reminded me of? When the Black Lives Matter movement first started and people started mm-hmm. saying, you know, Blue Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. The criticism of Blue Lives Matter that I very much stand by is... Is that fucking stupid? Ju- <laughs> stupid as shit, right? But cop is a job and a uniform you can take off. Being black is... You're black, always, all the time. Yeah. And there was a, an incident where... Some crime had happened and there was a black cop who lived in the area who went to help because he's a cop and got beaten up because he was a black man. And it didn't matter that he was a cop because you can't look at someone and know they're a cop. Yeah. But black people are always black. And I think that was part of the message of this episode, but they didn't actually want to get political and say cops are bad but it was just really wishy-washy there was no point there was no point yeah they just had a bunch of people in different places having conflicts and no resolution yeah and those conflicts never like interacted like the white mayor was afraid of upsetting black people by saying the killer was black but what about the neo-nazi group you have living in your county yeah they really kind of brushed over that quick didn't they (laughs) also they made the reverend the enemy the reverend is being like this county is only eight percent black and the police very much don't care we've had he was right three yeah it wasn't until a white guy was killed that the mayor called the fbi and we heard of nothing that had been done before the bau showed up nothing they hadn't talked to the families we didn't know anything so it sounds like they weren't looking into it until a white guy got killed and then they called the fbi so i'm kind of with the reverend on this one yeah, I'm kind of with I'm kind of with my boy Reverend. Also, okay, I was gonna do this when it came up in the episode, but I'm gonna do it at the top so it colors everything. I looked up some race riots, the most recent race riot before this episode happened, because Gideon says the Reverend is going to start a full scale race riot. Right, he says that. Yeah, before we start, what constitutes it as a race riot? Because when I think of race riot, I just think of, like, Charles Manson, Helter Skelter. That is not a race riot. Well, I guess he wanted to start a race riot. Okay. The most famous example are the L.A. race riots after the death of Dr. King. Pretty much every race riot in America has been because a police officer killed a black man and got away with it think of ferguson mm-hmm. you know i guess in the case of trayvon martin 
George Zimmerman wasn't a police officer, but he was like trying to be. Still got away with it, yeah. Still got away with it, you know. So like pretty much every race, quote unquote, race riot is historically because of police and because of like systematic racism. So basically any race, the definition of a race riot is a public outbreak of violence between two races in a community. But we use, America uses the term kind of specifically to mean Mm -hmm. like, historically it has been black people um, rioting against the police who are killing them and getting away with it. So I looked up a few. So the big ones, 1992 was the LA race riots with Rodney King. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1996 in central Florida, there was a race riot again, protesting racial profiling and police brutality. And then in 2001 is the most recent before this episode aired. And it was Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, and I wrote down the whole thing because I think it's worth talking about. We don't really learn about any except for L.A. and a sprinkling. There's a, there were like a bunch in Florida because Florida is such like a racially mixed mm-hmm. state. Yeah. Um, okay. So 2001 in Cincinnati, there was a 19-year-old black man named Timothy Thomas who basically had 21 traffic violations. It sounds like he didn't have a license and he didn't wear a seatbelt, but he drove anyway because he's 19 and 19 year olds are dumb. And the cops kept, the white cops kept pulling him over. Mm-hmm. And um, one night he was being pursued to be arrested, finally. And he basically like led the police on like a foot race through, the neighborhood was called Over the Rhine in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he ran down an alley, surprised a police officer named Roach and Roach just shot him and today and the next day he died in the ICU. So two days later, two hundred protesters went to like the main city square or neighborhood square and had a protest, which turned into a march. And basically they were like, Hey, it's been two days. We have no explanation for why he was shot and killed over traffic violations. And two, what are the results of the investigation? You won't tell us what the results are. So then the next day, they went outside the police headquarters and were throwing rocks and bottles at the police, who then tear gassed them and used rubber bullets and beanbag ammo. I'm not telling you mm-hmm. what that is, but it sounds not fun. And it's then, not fun. Not fun. So then for the next three days, there's smashing, marching, looting. Um, we know what that's like now because since Ferguson, um, we've had that kind of response to things. And so three days after the original shooting, the mayor institutes a curfew. Mm -hmm. But then after the next day is Timothy Thomas's funeral, 2000 protesters do like a peaceful march after the funeral. And the cops, despite it being like a peaceful, just a huge march, seven cops fired beanbag ammo into the crowd and two children were injured. And the cops were like, we were ordered to disperse. And the crowd says, they didn't tell us to disperse. They didn't say anything. They just started firing into the crowd. And they were targeting like black people. 
So then in 2002, the next year, the city tried to like improve the relationships between cops and the people of the city. But the Cincinnati Police Department did like a work slowdown and like basically stopped working. And so violent crime spiked and it peaked in 2003. They just, the cops were like, oh, you want us to treat people better? We just won't do our job. Uh, and then we found out that Roach was tried for negligent homicide. And basically, he just moved to the suburbs to a new jurisdiction and he was acquitted. And then later, an internal investigation found that he lied in his report and he didn't actually give Tim- Timothy like a proper warning. And then even if he had, he didn't give him time to respond to it. So basically, like Timothy ran into him and Roach just shot him. And in the report, he said, Oh, I didn't know it was just for traffic violations. All I heard was there was a chasing a criminal with 21 charges. And I thought he had a gun, but he was just pulling his pants up. And like, no, Timothy just like met him in an alley and Roach just shot him. Uh, And then after all the city's efforts in late 2003, another young black man, Nathaniel Jones, was beaten to death for kind of, not for kind of, for no reason. Like, they thought he had drugs on him, and he ended up getting beaten to death. So that was in 2003 that happened. And now this episode takes place in early 2007. Or early. So that's sort of what yeah. they were working with yeah. context-wise. And, and for context, the next race riot was 2009. So like two years after this episode, there was a race riot in Oakland, California, again against police brutality um and i i have not read up on the um discourse about the term race riot um i think it's probably at this point an outdated term to use it sounds like a very 90s term to use but that's what they use in this episode yeah because i don't think Like, I wouldn't call the protests after Ferguson race riots. I wouldn't call the the protests and the... I I would call it rioting what happened in Baltimore after uh, Freddie Gray. But I wouldn't... I don't know. Race riot, to me, sounds like they're blaming it on... Like, it is about race, but really it's like against the system. I don't know if I'm explaining that right. Yeah, it's more... Well, they are so closely intertwined, though. I get get both, but, like, yeah, no, I understand. That's what they use in this episode, so that's what we'll use for ease of conversation, but that might not be 100% right. Yeah, I haven't read Uh, on the discourse around the term. But I just wanted to put that out there. The most recent race riot... And that's why, but that's why when Gideon says this guy's going to start a race riot, I'm like, this is, I get what you're saying. And this is a, people would be rioting. Here's the thing. We barely talk to black people in this episode. We barely talk to white people in this episode. But like, 
we have no idea how the black community feels about this death, except for the reverend, who I think is completely right. Except you for know? the de- reverend and Detective Ware, yeah. Yeah. And then Derek, who's not part of the town, you know, and we meet two teenage girls, but it's just like, are we supposed to believe that the reverend is representing how all 3,000 black people in the town feel? Or are we supposed to believe that he's trying to rile up the black people in the town to riot? I just, I don't understand why they're so terrified of him inciting something. And then also there's mixed messages, right? So we get right away, there, there is a neo-Nazi group in Connecticut who apparently they beat up a black man because of the reverend. So what I'm hearing is white people are upset. And yeah, you black- have a neo-Nazi problem is what you have. <laughs> yeah, like, like I, I would understand a little more if a group of like black guys beat up a white dude. They'd be like, uh-oh race riot yeah. but that's not what happened what happened is the reverend is like hey the young women of our community the girls of our community are being murdered and you are doing nothing and then the nazis were like fuck you and beat some dude up like i'm sorry that's not a rape that's the thing it's like that's not a race riot it's not what a race riot is like that's a no, nazi problem that's a, you, you have, have a nazi, nazi problem, problem there racist white people with guns problem so when he says race riot, I don't like it because it's weird. It's a weird, it's a weird thought. There's not a lot of like we don't. I wish we had seen the community of the town because like we get um, Sandra's parents, we get these two teenagers, and then mm-hmm. we get this white guy who just like shoots a black dude who's in his backyard, and that's. All the townspeople we get. Yeah, we only get like five. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, we have this neo-Nazi group. But when they show up, Detective Ware is like, this isn't the Deep South. We don't have like racism problems here. But like when you have a, your neo-Nazi group is so prevalent, it has a fucking name. Okay, it has the, the White Stallions. And two, if you think this is a big hate crime, then like maybe on the surface, you're not having like black and white bar fights but like there is some sort of simmering racial tension here it's also weird to me they really tried to like play up the community angle even in like the fucking like imdb description for this it's literally like the death of four african-american girls in a predominantly white community brings the bau to solve the case before racial tensions explode into violence they really do not care about the community aspect of that at all. Also, that's not what the episode is about. Only th- yeah. three girls are dead when they go. The fourth one dies while they're there. While they're there. And the whole race part of it is like completely made up. Hey, like, I'm just I'm just reading the IMDB know. description. No, I know. Here. I just like I don't understand. That's just the fucking little blurb they put in primetime. <laughs> fucking watch tv guide or whatever so it makes me upset makes me angry makes me mad and i don't like it anyway let's actually talk about this episode 
The rest of it can come up when it comes up. Because we've been recording for half an hour. <laughs> well, there's a lot to talk about. Okay. The episode starts with a girl asleep. Oh my god, okay. she They show her, like, in bed asleep, and then you hear a light switch click, and then she is at the door. And I was like, one, the supersonic hearing to hear a light <laughs> switch go off. Okay. Two, did you teleport? <laughs> She's like, so good. She's so quick. Yeah, it was so fast. And then she, like, looks in her little mirror and then climbs out the window. And you're like, oh, gosh, she's sneaking out. Great. Then she's, like, walking through the park. She looks super cute. A white guy shows up. And you, like, think it's something spooky. A car comes up, and she's like, oh, no, it's a car. And then she's like, Ken, get out of here. It's her, like, ex-boyfriend, I guess. Then she, like, gets in the car with him, and she's like, I'm needing someone to worry about it. And then Ken's like, I'm going to go fucking talk to this guy. And immediately shot. Immediately gets shot. Zero, like, not a chance in the world. Immediately gets shot. Then Kendra starts running. Sandra starts running, obviously. And... Then she, like, stops and, like, hides behind a tree. The trees in this park are so far spaced out. Why would (laughs) you just stop running? Yeah. And then she does get beat with something. Um, We learned later she was beaten so intensely they can't determine the cause of death. Which is a lot. Yes. Beaten, strangled, and then there were post-mortem stabbed. So, like, bruh. Bro. Wild. They don't, like, talk about, like, the anger part of that a lot, but, like, I feel like later, in later episodes when they're, like, she was beaten and stabbed and strangled, they're like, oh, that's an angry unsub, but they don't talk about that at all, this ep. No, they do, like, a little bit, they're like, oh, it's, like, sexual, because he he did it because he didn't get what he wanted, but other than that, um... They don't mention the fact that that's butt fucking wild, dude. That is. Yeah. And then we cut to Emily. Oops, spilling her coffee. They really are like, we are a workplace comedy this episode, but only for these this minute and a half. Like bookended. Also, okay, I have to bring this up because every time I watch this episode, I'm like, oh yeah. Every time somebody says, hey crime or minorities it cuts to emily and derek and i'm like tell me emily's a lesbian without telling me emily's a lesbian somebody in the fucking camera department is like still holding that grudge with cbs the editor is like i will let you know and but but it continues like emily and derek have this moment and then at the end she's the one who goes and gets him from the funeral you know like they bond in this. They really were like hint, hint, hint. Emily, is hint, also hint. Other. Here's their besties era, and yeah. she also <laughs> selects that little other tab. I know. <laughs> also, Emily's the first appearance of Emily's beige turtleneck. God, Ooh. those turtlenecks. Okay, Emily fit check time. We get on a, point. On point. A, <laughs> on point. Hot this, this whole episode. <laughs> 
it's a slightly off. She has a side part, but it's still ironed to Helen back. And then the ends of her hair are flipped up. <laughs> she got a little bob and a flip. Um, her turtleneck, her these pants that she wears, she wears them a few times um, this season. They're like brown wool men's trousers. And then she wears them with this thick belt. And I'm just like, yes, girl, show me that masculine energy. (laughs) (laughs) That business casual butch energy. (laughs) Literally, she says, I'm not a sporty butch, but I am kind of mask. You know? (laughs) Yeah. She's like, I'm not the femme in the relationship. You know? (laughs) Okay. She spills her coffee. Derek immediately starts laughing at her. She goes, she's like, she goes, oh, gosh. He's immediately like, <laughs> good morning. <laughs> what are you? Rough weekend? Like, she's like, no, yes, no, yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, she reverse psychologies herself in this moment. He's, yeah. like, he's like, you want to talk about it? And she's like, no, sorry. Like, it's weird because I'm still, like, new. I don't know you guys. I want to be personal. And he's like, that's fine, whatever. And then he walks away. And then she's like, well, now I have to tell him. So she turns around and you see her being like, uh, okay, fine. I had a bad date. And then she gives her, do you ever see me without this hat? I'm a weirdo. Speech. Yeah. Very <laughs> Jughead Jones of her, actually. You're very Jughead Jones of her. <laughs> Literally, she's like, I'm a nerd, okay? I can hide I'm it. I'm nerdy. <laughs> I'm nerdy. I can hide it for a few days, even a few weeks. But eventually I say something and I get outed as a nerd. As a nerd, of course. As a nerd. At the end of all of this. I can hide the fact that I'm a nerd. (laughs) And then it comes out. I'm nerdy. Yeah. Just like. (laughs) Okay, sure. Mad lives the shit out of it. I don't know. know. It's just very funny to me. Yeah, she has her little I'm a nerd speech. So then she says Gilgore. Oh my god. Then she says, Kilgore Trout. Do you get this reference? No, but I'm also not a Vonnegut person, so. Right. Me neither. But this, so, okay. Kilgore Trout is a character who is in almost every one of Kurt Vonnegut's books. Okay. And it's always, like, a different person like his lore Kilgore Trap's lore like changes but he's always playing he's always a sci-fi writer who's written 117 novels and 2,000 short stories and nobody knows who he is and he's poor shit that's Kilgore Trap's character and sometimes he's just honestly kind of a mood actually (laughs) now that I'm thinking about it kind of a mood he's based off of a real sci-fi writer named Theodore Sturgeon so it's Kilgore instead of Theodore and it's Trout instead of Sturgeon (sighs) Sturgeon. yeah except Sturgeon also had a really unsuccessful career and ended up in obscurity so uh Vonnegut waited until he died Vonnegut waited until he died to say like no, yeah, I did base him on him. Because otherwise he was like, harsh, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I kind of feel it. Uh, and then one story, in one in one story, Kilgore Trout isn't a character, but one of the main characters has to give like a fake name, and he gives the fake name of Kilgore Trout. So like, it's, Kilgore's a concept. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, more of like more of like a feeling than like a person. More of like a state of being than a real person. 
Kilgore Chats like a plot device, a vibe, a mood, a costume, a failing sci-fi author. So they talk about the book Mother Night. And I need to tell you the plot of Mother Night because it's kind of a big hint towards Emily. Okay. So basically, it's a it's a framed story where the book is a memoir written by the main character uh, whose name is Howard Campbell. And basically, Kurt Vonnegut has like a note at the beginning of the story where he's like, hey, Howard Campbell gave me this manuscript of his life. So here it is. I've put in a few notes. But like, Howard Campbell isn't real. Right? That's okay. the joke. Do you understand All what right. I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Vonnegut like pretended like his character was a real person. Great. Basically, he was a playwright in like the 30s. And he was approached basically like all of his friends started becoming Nazis and he like was apathetic toward it. So he like didn't believe in Nazism, but he like became a member of the Nazi party just like because that was what was happening kind of thing. Um, so he was still a Nazi. And he was approached by an American like FBI agent person to go into cover. So he becomes like a Nazi propagandist radio host and is spreading Nazi propaganda. But the way he speaks, like the pauses in his sentence and like his affectation is the code he's passing to the Americans. So it's like layered where like he's sending code to the Americans, but at the same time is spreading Nazi propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when the, when he gets, the Nazis are being dealt with, he is going to go to trial, but his manager, you know, the guy who um, recruited him, makes a deal so that he can go live in New York City. So he spends 15 years living just like a normal life, whatever. Um, oh, he had a wife. She died. So he's kind of Rip. like, I don't know what's happening. Ripped to her, I guess. Ripped to her. <laughs> so, but then he finds out that his neighbor in New York is a Nazi. And that neighbor finds out who Kilgore Trout really is and spreads it around. And he becomes like a celebrity amongst the Nazis in the area because he had been this radio host. So now he's a famous Nazi, but he like, quote unquote, wasn't a Nazi, but like this was. And then the sister of his wife shows up pretending to be his wife. And there's like this whole plot where he falls in love with her. And then she's like, no, okay. I, was a, I was like a spy getting information from you. Something happens, right? And then she dies. And Kilgore Trout is basically like, I have nothing left to live. We're not Kilgore. Howard Campbell is like, I have nothing left to live for. I'm going to die. Oh, no, he turns himself in to Israel to be put on trial for his war crimes. But right before he gets tried, his recruitment guy, the papers come through. He was a spy. He wasn't actually a Nazi. He gets freed. But Howard Campbell decides to kill himself anyway because he has nothing left to live for. And in the end, how was he different from the bad guys? Okay, yeah. Think about Emily Prentice for a second. Okay, yeah. She was participating. Even though she was undercover, she was still aiding those people. And then now she blames herself. How many times does Emily have a little moment where she's like, what makes us so different from them? 
And then the quote Emily brings up is, you are who you pretend to be, so be careful who you pretend to be. I yeah. was like, okay, criminal minds. I okay, see not really that subtle when you think about it, actually. Not actually. Um, <laughs> wild. Okay. The other thing that really gets me about this scene, though, is like, sure, I guess Kurt Vonnegut is like some nerdy, obscure thing. Like, I can get how, like, I mean, trust me, I can get how going into one, like, random character in a book series is, like, nerdy. But, like, when Derek is like, oh, Kurt Vonnegut, and Emily's like, you know Kurt Vonnegut? I was like, Emily, Kurt Vonnegut is required reading in a lot of high school. <laughs> he is required reading for most high school. Like, sure, he's sci-fi, like... and sure, maybe a lot of people haven't, like, read him, but people, like, know who Kurt Vonnegut is. Like, he's a classic, um, like, author. Yeah. He's famous. You know, I would have said, oh, Slaughterhouse-Five? Oh, Breakfast of Champions? Like, hello, Emily? That's not as obscure and nerdy as you think it is. I think you just don't like boys. And then you said something and went, up. Oh, well, he thinks I'm too nerdy. Bye. And just use yeah. that as an excuse to not have to see this guy again. Anyway, anyway. They clink their coffee mugs together. Like fucking nerds. They're like, ah, we like the same books. Clink. And then Hosh appears out of nowhere. <laughs> he is a ghost in the night. He is a ghost. That like, is hey, there's shit going thing. on. He did that last episode with the like, why aren't you phased? Like he just, his new thing is just like, hey, I'm actually in this too. <laughs> He's like, hey, I was required to be in this scene. And then leaves. <laughs> so I just imagine Thomas Gibson like standing slightly out of frame. He watches the scene and then he goes, come for two minutes, five minutes. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. He is standing six inches away from them. He is just, right there. Just behind the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking funny. Okay. All right. Sandra Davies, 16, is a singer in her in high school. She's the town that they go to is called Groden. It's an affluent, affluent, mostly white suburb of New York City, Connecticut, in Connecticut. There are three killings so far, believed to be hate crimes. The first two, the names were Keisha and Vicky. They all disappeared from their homes and then showed back up in the woods. I, okay, I understand. I mean, obviously. The car says stop, and there's, like, a swastika, and then, like, there's the dead interracial couple. But why are the first two considered to be hate crimes? They have date rape drugs in the system, and that comes up when they're on the plane. But, like, I don't know. Is it because they're black it's automatically seen as hate crime, or is it because of the swastika? I think it was because of the swastikas. Okay. Because they were painted on the girls' faces, too, right? On the one girl. Yeah. The most recent. On Sandra, yeah. Um, Reed has some flashbacks. Cool. A lot of Reed's... Can I say? I don't know if the super legally gotten way that we have... That I'm watching Criminal Minds now... Um, I don't know if that was just like low quality the way I was watching it, but Reed's flashbacks look like shit fucking yeah. 
garbage this episode. Yeah, I know no, they're scary and dark, but like, holy shit, give no. me something here. They're like super blurry. They're really choppy. The lighting is super weird. And like, I guess I get that it's like a... Okay, here's the thing. When mm-hmm. he was having flashbacks on drugs with Henkel, he was out. Head back, choking on his own saliva, unconscious. Yeah. Now uh-huh. he's just like hanging out, flashbacks, saying a sentence. He's kind of just like vibing. <laughs> yeah, so it's really confusing to me that that is a thing. I don't know. He also, one thing I did think was interesting, though, was he can't keep up with the conversation. Like, he barely says anything this scene because they're talking and he's kind of like, you can see him like struggling to like track who's talking and stuff, which I thought was a good touch. But okay, I'm just going to skip just a little bit ahead. When he does, he do drugs in the bathroom. Because he I like don't think he does actually. He pulls them out. He looks at them. He has a flashback, and then it cuts. All of a sudden, he has nothing in his hands, and he's pulling out paper. So are we just supposed to like assume he did drugs? We don't actually see him do drugs. We do not. Are we supposed to? Is he? Is this him still? Like, is he fighting? The urge to take the drugs and the next episode he takes drugs. But here's the thing. Next episode is when he like stops the drugs. Wait. Is next episode this... Jones? No, the next episode is Distress and then Jones. Oh, Distress is the homeless guy one. Okay, so next episode, he's definitely like irritable. Um, and then in is... Jones he stops. Is next episode when he yells at Emily? Yeah, next episode is the homeless episode. I forgot this episode existed. I thought this was the homeless episode. Okay. It's not. Next episode is. So next episode, he's like yelling at Emily. Mm-hmm. Um, what, in the few months you've known me? You don't really know what you're talking about, do you, Emily? Fuck that guy. Um, but again, it's like, are you on drugs? Or is this some weird withdrawal? Because next episode... He or then Jones, he's like a little weird, but Gideon is like, hey, maybe um get your shit together. And then by the next episode, he's fine. But then in season three, episode 16, reads like, I'm 10 months clean of drugs. So I think he's supposed to be on drugs in this episode. Or something. I just don't know. They don't make it clear. Is he fighting the urge or is he on the drugs? What's the truth? What is the truth? It's so, it's it's weird too. Like, I don't, why do you have the drugs with you if you're not taking them? That's why I think it might be he's like on the edge of taking them. I, here's the thing. I don't know why he doesn't talk to someone. Because in season one, he's like having nightmares. And then he goes and he talks to Derek and he talks to Gideon and he talks to Hodge and then this episode he's like about to do drugs heroin <laughs> and he is tight-lipped and he's he not is. telling anyone and I don't he's not telling anybody yeah it's just weird I don't I don't think he takes the drugs later on in the bathroom I don't, I don't think, think so. he does I think he just looks at him you know when you take out your emotional support drugs and just look at him a little bit <laughs> me with my Xanax <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> um, Reed has his flashbacks. He can't keep up. Right. So they're talking about how this is a new victimology or it could be just an escalation, right? Because there's two people this time. So is it a new victimology or is it an escalation? JJ brings up that Reverend Williams publicly announces that this is a hate crime. He's calling it a hate crime. And then they, and then JJ says, because of Reverend Williams' muckracking, a black boy was beaten up by the neo-Nazi group, the White Stallions. Sorry, Reverend didn't make Nazis. Muckracking too? That's it's, what you're going with? It's not. I, okay. One thing, one of the really weird things about this episode too is the citizens are forever shitting on the cops and the BAU never defends the cops, but they also never tell the cops really to get their shit together, except for the profile part. So this is like, JJ, why are you calling it muckracking? Muckracking's not the term you should be using for a public person saying some shit, by the way. No like, matter what that is, if they're not a journalist, then like it's not really muckracking, TBH. I'm w- nearly 100% certain that muckracking is journalism. Muckracking means the act of searching out and publicizing scandalous information about famous people in an underhanded way. It's about is, creating a scandal. It says a muckracking journalist. Independent media are not afraid to muckrack and set their own agenda. So, or muckrake. Muckraking. I think it's muckrake. It, it's muckraking, but muckracking sounds almost better. But it is muckraking, by the way. Muckraking. Okay. Yes. But, like, the so, reverend, the reverend. Yeah. Calling this a hate crime is not muckraking. He's not looking for a story. A story is here already. I I think that if the reverend was saying, no, I can't, like, unless the reverend is like, hey, by the way, the mayor's cheating. We should fire him and get a new black mayor. Like, okay, maybe. But this is not muckraking. This is not muckraking. This is, hey, the black children of our community are dying and nobody cares. And now the Nazis feel emboldened because nobody is searching for the killer of these black girls. That's not muckracking. He's giving, he's voicing a real concern that I'm sure many people have. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm, just so. Not muckraking at all. No, and I don't the, like that they call it that. The, you know, reporters swarm outside the station later maybe could be called muckrakers, but like... Only if they're... This reverend? This no. guy? He's just chilling. No, he's a community person. Like, yeah. it's not... No, I don't like that they call it that. I don't like that he gets dismissed. I don't like that he's the villain of the piece. It's weird, right? It's not. It's weird. It's weird. I don't think that black people should be 
criticized, demeaned, and reprimanded for pointing out their mistreatment and the mistreatment of their community. That's what I'll say. They should be allowed to point out when they and their community are being treated poorly. I don't like that. JJ goes and they sent JJ to go talk to him to try and get him to be less vocal. And then he does not appear again in the episode. What did JJ do to him? What church basement did she lock that man in? Like, what? (laughs) Like, what is going on? For some reason, in my memory, and now I wonder if it's just my wishful thinking, I could have sworn that he came back and was like, they sent this white, blonde, blue-eyed girl to talk to me. And they tried to shut me up by sending this blue-eyed, cute girl, hoping that it would persuade me, and maybe that works on other people, I could have sworn. I would have loved that. If I think if they were... might do that on a later episode. Honestly. Episode. I'm thinking I'm thinking you're just misremembering something. But yeah, there is a moment like that. Right? Where they're like, they put a pin in it. Up. Write it on a sticky note. Put we'll get to it somewhere. We'll get to <laughs> it someday. Yeah. I just could have sworn. It must be for another episode. Because I would have loved that. Like this is though if the reverend coming back and being like so not only did it take a white guy being killed for them to care and them to bring in the FBI, but then a black man gets beaten up by a neo-Nazi group in our community and nothing gets done about it. Yeah. And then they try to silence me by sending this Aryan woman to tell me to shut up and let the cops do their work when it's the cops I don't trust in the first place because they're not doing anything. I'm on the reference side. I'm on the reference side for He, like, holds up a baseball bat, and he's like, I'll take care of it. And I'm like, okay. So tricky. Do it. All right. Oh, they're on the plane. 50 50 minutes into the recording, and we're in the plane. We're on the plane. JJ goes... New York, New York. And then Derek is like, too bad we're flying straight past it. I wish there was a callback to that season one episode where Elle is, where JJ's like, I want to go to this restaurant and I want to go clothing shopping, New York. And Reed's like, yeah, I've never been. And then Elle is like, I'll take you two out on the town. I would have loved a throwback to that, but we don't get one. Okay. And Emily's like, hey guys, this is weird. The first two victims had GHB, which is a date rape drug, in their systems, but they weren't sexually assaulted. But then this girl didn't have any of that in her system. If it's a hate crime, why are they doing a date rape drug? And they're talking about how different the double homicide is from the first two women. Um... One thing I thought was really interesting, I heard the fax machine noise. And they JJ really gets, went for accuracy there, honestly. Yeah. Beep, beep. And then JJ gets up and goes and gets her little fax. Good for her. I love that even on the plane, this bitch is not in a moment of rest. Not even. 
So she comes back and she reads it and it's basically like, we want you to stop this, whatever. I disagree with pretty much everything Reed says about this note. So she gets like this, they get this note that was delivered. Sorry, I'm just trying to like remember. Is it like? It was sent to Sandra two weeks before her death. And because she was dating Ken. Yeah, so basically we find out later that Kendra, the other girl, Kendra was Ken's girlfriend. Or no, or but it she... wasn't her name. It was Tanya. Oh, was sorry, the other Tanya, girl. thank you. Tanya um, says that she was Ken's girlfriend. And we get a very funny Emily moment where she's like, I get it. Uh, Ken says they weren't dating, but Tanya's like, guess we were. And then after the talent show, which was one month ago, Ken ditched Tanya to start dating Sandra. So two weeks ago, Tanya sent the letter that was like, we want you to stop dating, take care to stop this, and also don't tell anybody. So, yeah, it, it was just because, like, she was mad. So they Weirdly never, worded yeah. note. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this, because it sounds like... Yeah, when Reeve mm-hmm. says they use the word we, so it's fake... People always do that. I was like, but you did just talk about a neo-Nazi white supremacist group. So like the we could just be like the supremacist group. Were they questioned? Has anyone talked to them? Has anybody talked to the Nazis? The Nazis do not get mentioned again. Literally, swastikas on a car, neo-Nazi group beats up a black guy, not even questioned. Like. Not even questioned. Like what? (laughs) What? Like what? 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 Okay. So I disagree with you, Reed. They literally are talking about neo-Nazi groups. The we could be a neo-Nazi group. Not instead. Doesn't have the to we be could I, make like, sense. Hello. Yeah. If one, I think if if the rest of the letter was worded differently, the we would have made more sense in reference to the potential neo-Nazi group. But sure. the rest of the language is so tame that I think that's that and we is what sort of like crosses out the neo-nazi group you know what i mean i just also when she says take care to end this i was like who what teenager talks like that take care he's like it's a woman because there's empathy and i was like (laughs) okay one this for real sounds like a letter was written by that one fucking oh my god what the fuck stephen king book am i thinking of she breaks his legs and the writer, she keeps the writer there. Um, it's one word, misery. Misery, thank you. That for real to me sounded like the woman from Misery speaking. And I don't yeah. know why, but it just like in my soul, I felt it. It's Kathy Bates. It's Kathy Bates. <laughs> I don't, in my soul, I yeah. felt it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I just, when they read that sentence, I was like, that's not a sign that it's a woman. That's a sign that this person is wild. Take care that you do not continue this behavior. Like, what? That sounds like somebody is 80 years old. For real. I'm sorry. This sounds like an 80-year-old woman wrote this note. This is a note written by somebody on Medicare. This is not a teenager. Tanya got her grandmother who lives (laughs) To write the note. Tanya wrote the grandma wrote the the first draft. And Tanya was like, all right, yeah, this is good. We'll send it off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, that's not a sign that it's a woman. That's a sign that this is a, like geriatric crazy person 
and then that's exactly what it sounds like yeah and then they're like don't be public about this and they said that like hate crimes are about publicity not about like just threatening i don't know about that because like (laughs) when i've been threatened outside of gay clubs it's not about publicity. <laughs> it's it's about for real I, not all about publicity, about but... who I am as a, a person on the planet. So that one I was kind of like, ah, eh, uh, you know, maybe if Sandra had stayed with Kim, the second one would have been public, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. And then they're like, also, it's a teen because it's really immature writing. And I was like, Again, ah, does again, sound no. like somebody on Medicare. This is, for real, this is somebody geriatric writing this, but... Yeah. So then they talk about Sandra's autopsy being unclear because of all the blunt force trauma and the bruising. Oh, and Reed is like rambling and it keeps cutting to like Gideon and Hodge looking a little like, hmm, at his rambling. But he always talks like that. So I don't know what the suspicion there is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We get to Connecticut. JJ. Okay. AJ Cook is five foot seven and JJ is wearing heels, but she hops down out of this car like she's a 12 year old. And she walks up to this mayor and is just a half a foot shorter than him, foot and a half shorter than him. And the whole group is standing around and she is tiny. And I'm like, so small. I'm like, in heels, JJ is probably like 5'10, 5'11. But all of these men are just six foot plus. And she is the tiniest one of them. It's like, I always think about, I'm like, oh, she's tiny. She's tiny. And I'm like, actually, like, she's not. She's taller than I am. But she's a very tall woman. It's just that every man in Hollywood is like six foot five. Like, she's just like the littlest of the giants, you know? Yeah. So, oh, and also trench coat era. She's in her trench coat. Pretty much everyone. She is in her trench coat era. So true. Okay, she goes up, we meet the mayor, and we meet Detective Rick Ware. All right, here's our first weird moment I want to bring up. Ware and Derek look at each other, and there is immediately some sort of rivalry tension. And I'm like, is it because you're the only, like, each of you are the only black guy on your team? And now there's two black men each vying for their spot on the white team? Like, what is this supposed to be? Why are they immediately suspicious of each other? Is it like a city guy and a country guy? Like what? I don't get it. I know I'm white and I'm coming at this from a white perspective, but like it's the same way as if if there were two like women who were the only women on the team and they showed up and immediately hate each other because they were the only two women. Like why is that a thing we're doing? You know? Sometimes, you know, you just look at the other minority in the room and you're like hmm this is what we're doing today I guess <laughs> I'm the token get out of here and then later you know how they bond like they quote Martin Luther King to each other and that's how they bond and I was like is this not weird weird to me okay they're like the mayor's like it's hard to fathom this murder it's the first murder we've had in two years and there's three of them and Derek's like why is it hard to imagine a murder and where's like this isn't the south it's like liberal here and Derek's like so you don't so there's not like race issues 
and war is like and where is like it's out of the norm i don't want to make any assumptions it's about race you know like they could be multiple killers blah blah blah, blah. and they mention the note and they're like yeah we don't know who it is and then the cop who shows up a few times he's like the sidekick to where <laughs> he's like the sidekick beat cop and i do think he's kind of funny actually no, he's funny and he's adorable but he's, he's kind like, of funny he's like actually there is like a team that we interviewed and where's like it's not worth it i talked to him and derek's like fuck off we're gonna talk to tanya so they go <laughs> this one's really i did think this was funny they're uh where is like she swore she didn't do it. She's not the type to like perpetuate a hate crime. Like she wouldn't have done that. She wouldn't have done a hate crime. And I'm just like, why do you say that? And then he opens the window and it's like, she's black. And I was like, all right, that's a fun little twisty there. You're like, who's this racist little teenager? And then it's just like a black girl. And you're like, uh. <laughs> it's just like a kid. It's like a kid. And you're just like, oh. Um, and Derek's like, let her sit. And where is like, you're going to leave us. 16 year old to sweat and Derek's like I'm gonna scare the hell out of her it's like, they're oh, like so for real about to like yeah <laughs> which is hilarious also I love that Emily and Derek are paired this whole time because Derek comes in and Derek's like I too am black and when that doesn't work Emily is like I am also a woman <laughs> ah that's the they're angle. covering all of the bases covering all the bases you got you got the charming black man and you got the awkward lesbian. And together they cover all the ground. <laughs> yep. Okay. Posh and Gideon go to the double homicide crime scene. We find out that they, like, Sandra lived half a mile away. Ken lived a mile away. Super close. And they're like, what were they doing at the park? And the cop was like, uh, what, do any teenager, what does any teenager do at a park? I came here to drink beer and make out. And he's not wrong. He to be fair, wrong. he's not wrong. And Hotch is like, no, they weren't on a date. Ken was in casual clothing. Sandra was dressed up all fancy. The bodies were found close together, but Kendra was... Uh, uh, why do I keep writing? Oh, it's because his name is Ken. And yeah. I keep mixing Ken and Sandra. Uh, Sandra was dragged from the woods and they were like, why wasn't wasn't Sandra shot? And Hatch was like, he was focused on Sandra. She was like, why he was here? And Gideon goes, she didn't have a date with Ken. She had a date with the unsub. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. I don't know why this doesn't lead them to look at other white teenage boys. Good question. They never look like because obviously ken has a type he dates pretty looks like exclusively like black girls who sing so like maybe there's another white boy who is also into black girls who sing but is actually they were like they were so focused on making this episode as convoluted as possible but also like maybe not you know like i think like they really wanted of the the like twist of like what if everyone thinks it's a hate crime but then it's like just some black dude because in the end it's just a black dude yeah right? it's just a guy it's just a black serial killer like in the end it's like just like a 
serial killer with his own issues that are never explored because we don't know who he never is. Never explored. Second. And I feel like we should have explored them more. You think Not I to be you, like, don't you? Like, no. Hello? No? Terrence? Hello? Hey, Terrence, you okay? He steals their voices? Some Ursula motherfucker. What's going on with this guy? Once again, just like the trans serial killer in Mexico, once again, the killer is so interesting. Interesting. Five seconds of screen time right at the end. And it's just John Diggle for like three minutes and that's it. Wild. Loved that guy. I think he did a great job. I think, yes, um, it was, what's his name? David Ramsey, who plays, who is most, I think, famous for playing John Diggle in the um, in the Arrow universe. Oh. He plays him in Arrow and The Flash and in Legends of Tomorrow and in Supergirl and in every other fucking Arrowverse show. So that's what I know him from because he was, he's been doing that since like 2012. Like, oh, so he's like famous now. So he has been playing that john diggle role for a very long time wow hold on i want to see billy brown Hmm? the detective oh he's in 90 episodes of how to get away with murder oh yeah the detective guy yeah i was like why does he look so familiar yeah that's right so we get back to derek and emily and they're like, time to go talk to Sandra. Also, they're in the exact same place. And I love the idea that they just, the three of them just stood there in silence for like <laughs> 20 minutes. They're like, I want her to be scared for her life. And so they just all stood there awkwardly like, no, hey, did you catch the game last night? Like, <laughs> Emily's like, so anyway, could want to get, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah like... Have you read? Oh, you have. Wow. <laughs> He's a he's very well known author. Yeah, he was mandatory reading in high school and in college, actually. But you guys don't think anyone knows Kieran Vonnegut or what? And then they're like, you know what? Derek eventually is like, all right, enough of this. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. I have to set my dominance over you, Detective Ware. Okay. They go into the interrogation room, and Derek is immediately like, I'm part of the FBI. You see this note. This is a federal crime. You're going to go away forever. And she's like, oh, God. Tanya's like, oh, no. (laughs) He immediately goes in hard. I know. She's like, oh, God, I was just being petty (laughs) about this boyfriend. Like, what are you talking about? And then Derek is like, I think you were upset because, like, Ken wouldn't say you were dating and Tanya is like, I am his girlfriend. I was his girlfriend. And Emily immediately goes, I get it. I get it. And she like slides in and Derek like backs up and Emily's like, he wouldn't acknowledge you. He wouldn't, he wasn't proud to say you were his girlfriend. That's hard. I too like men and they do this. And Tanya is like, I just let them know to scare them. And Derek's like, well, they're dead now. So that doesn't look too good. And Sandra basically is like, we were dating. I'm mad and bitter. Like, oh my God, she sings at one talent show. And suddenly she's like popular and famous. 
So Tanya admits to writing the note, and she's like, but I didn't kill them. Duh. And then Derek leaves and is like, she wrote the note, and Detectives Ware is like, God, she killed those kids. And Derek's like, what? No. <laughs> no, absolutely like, not. No, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, literally, like, what? Okay. Um. Also, can we talk about how this whole episode could have been solved right here if they had asked Tanya, like, so you knew Sandra and Ken. Did they meet anybody new recently? Any they reason? They really... I felt like this is a weird thing to say. I felt like they weren't trying to solve the case for the first, like, half hour of this episode. They were not. Like, it feels weird to me to say, but, like, they weren't trying to solve this case. Like, there were a lot of girls getting that card from the music producer. Oh, like, Tanya could have been, like, she thinks she's so cool, and she gets a card from a producer, and they would have been, like, at a high school talent show? That's weird. weird. (laughs) Who's this producer? Oh, he's this guy. He does all musicals. He passes up cards to girls he thinks can sing. You know, he actually was talking to Vicky. Like, five seconds, this show could have been. This episode could have been done. It just feels like they weren't trying to... Solve it. Solve the case. I don't know. They very much were taking it, like, one step at a time. Like, And I okay, feel like they could have... No. You could have tried a little bit harder. Yeah. Ask two follow-up questions. Yeah. So, Reed goes to the bathroom. He checks the stall. He locks the door. He's just, like, staring at himself. He pulls out the drugs... And then Gideon is like, or Hotch is like, has anyone seen Reed? And then Reed comes out and they're like, yeah, yeah, we can't figure out how she died. She was beaten so goddamn badly. Um, so, usually, like, postmortem stabbings are sexually motivated. This guy might have a different MO. And Beer's like, okay, but, like, do we think it's the same guy? And Hotch says, well, if it is, he didn't get what he wanted. And they're like, we need to figure out what his souvenir is. You know, but this definitely isn't a hate crime. Definitely not a hate crime. So. Emily says that, like, okay, he's got a specific type. And he covers his tracks. He's a serial killer. Great. Wonderful. Then we see a new girl in the park. Her name's Naomi. She gets in the car and they drive off. Okay. Can we talk about my least favorite thing about Criminal Minds episodes sometimes? Yes. No woman is getting in a car alone in a park at night with somebody she doesn't know that well, especially if it's a man. I'm, I, I know sometimes that things have to happen for like TV shows to like exist, but like, holy fucking shit, y'all. This is so basic. There's also one girl who's like, yeah, he gave me his card. It didn't even have a company name. Who falls for that? Yeah! Well, apparently, like, four girls did. I don't understand. I don't know why they would believe it. I don't know. It's just so... I don't know. Like, it's so weird to me. Like... It's this, and then there's a few times over the course of the show that it happens where, like, women are just acting without the barest hint of, like, self-preservation. And, like, I'm not, number one, not about to speak for every woman in the world, but number two, 
there is this sort of like awareness you get when you are interacting with the world as a woman that like you know when shit feels off you know what I mean like you know there are things you're not about to do right I'm not about to get out of my fucking car at night or get into another car at night yeah without telling somebody where I'm going or everything I can about that like I don't know I'm not also when we meet Sandra's sister the sister knows that Sandra snuck out. So why wouldn't Sandra have told the sister why she was sneaking out? Yeah. Like, why isn't Sandra like, oh my god, this is a producer. How do you sneak out? I need to sneak out too. Like, what? It's just, it's it's so, I don't know. It's just, there's something, there's something so infuriating about it when like, yeah. This episode was not written by a woman and you can tell yeah this episode was written by jeff davis andrew zellman and i think andrew wilder he was just on as a story editor but like this episode was written by a man and you can tell because of things like that like not to be rude it's just like that is such a thing that like number one everybody is taught not to do that but all especially for young women god no young black women if this like, town is so great, if there are neo-Nazi groups just, like, around, I don't know. That's weird. Okay. So then they're watching the news, the whole team is. Reverend Williams is saying how the FBI only came after a white boy was killed. He has a bat. He's like, I'm going to kill the killers. And Gideon goes, that's not helpful. And I was like, you're not I was going to say, thank you, Captain Obvious. Like, okay. Uh, and Vera's like, okay, so if it's not hate crime, but it's swastikas, okay, it was extraction. The real motive would have been serial sexual homicide, blah, blah, blah. And Gideon's like, the guy knew about the hysteria the town was in. Um, JJ's talking to the Reverend, asking him to cool it. It's just like, they managed to talk about race and politics so much and never say anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like, why wasn't there a convo in the plane ride home where Hotch was like, hey, I hope you can, I hope you know, Derek, that you can tell us if we are doing something wrong, if if we're stereotyping it means we're looking at things the wrong way like i hope you feel like you can talk to us about race things like there was nothing derek went back to being like one of the gang no talk like it was just weird. it was weird it was weird they really like to talk around it really do and then hotch is like everyone's making it political when in fact it's just personal which makes me think of the, you know, second wave feminism slogan. The personal is political. Yeah. It is political. Everything that you do, who you target, the way you're killing, the way people are reacting, it's all based on the politics of your community. So then they're like, okay, let's talk to the family of the victims. We only talk to Sandra's family. Only that one. Only Sandra's family. Basically, the parents are like, she was a good kid. She sang. She 
like was good in school. She didn't do anything. She wouldn't have snuck out. She couldn't have snuck out. Her windows are painted shut. And the sister appears and is like, no, they aren't. I like undid that years ago so I could sneak out. Like, don't worry, Sandra didn't do it. But like, I have a question. Sorry, painted why over? are your windows painted shut? Also, isn't paint not that hard to remove? Well, you know, it would have you would have had to like cut it, you know. Yeah, but that's like not a lot of effort. No. Your parents go out of town one weekend, get a fucking exacto knife and a ladder and go to it town. Sounds you know, exactly like what the little sister did. It, exactly. Like Yeah. Oh, and then the little sister, Bree, says the song about Sandra and goes, She didn't deserve this. And then Emily has oddest expression on her face emily has this like really weird look on her face and she goes no one deserves this which i agree with but it was just like a really weird where like Bree is like she was a good kid she was smart she never snuck out like she never did any of this she didn't deserve this and emily just has this look on her face like do you think there are people who would deserve this you know it's just like a weird like I was like, Emily, what is that? What are you doing there? How are you feeling right now, Emily? Okay. So, and then Gideon's like, did she like to sing? It's like, a, okay, we know she performed at the talent fair, talent show. We know she did choir at her church. He looks over and he sees a bunch of trophies. Then he goes, did she like to sing? <laughs> it's like, yeah, Gideon, obviously. Like, I feel, again, like, I feel like they're not trying to, like, solve this case. Yeah, like, they're being intentionally obtuse. Like, the yeah. talent, it's, ugh, whatever. I know, I know. Literally, I know. I know. Angrily drinking my water. <laughs> so then we cut to Hot being like, the other two girls who were killed were also good students. They also like to sing. Okay. Emily says African-American girls aged 15 to 17 like to sing. That's really specific. I was like. And it is. Is it? Is it every teenage are... girl obsessed with singing? No, some of us know that we're bad at it. Oh, some of us know we're bad at it, dude, anyway. <laughs> but like, how no, many but talent like... show performances are just teenagers who think they can sing. She's in competitions with other black girls in show choirs. Like, I think maybe, I think more of what they're getting at here is like this population of African-American people is so small in this community, right? Like they okay. said, it was like 8%. Yeah, like if you take already 8%, cut it down even more to be black girls age fucking 15 to That's 17 fair. who participate in singing events that is a very small sample okay. size You're right. that's like more than they usually go on for victimology you know what i mean that's true you know exactly who our victims are which honestly yeah. makes it even more frustrating when that white guy shoots detective Ware. i'm like were they not clear on who the victims of this were? it's four black girls yeah that have died and you're just some white dude, and, and the guy is like, I have a family I need her to protect. And it's like, this guy's not coming after you. Sorry. Why I'm are you doing this? breaking into your this? home. Calm down. 
they figure this out and Emily's like, maybe the singing is part of the MO. Maybe that's part of it, the singing. And it is, we learn. And it is. They just never touch on it again, even though it's the most interesting part of this episode. Yeah. So then the white cop comes in and is like, hey, this girl, Naomi Hayes, she's 16, she's missing. You said that so, like, hey, she's missing, by the way. Like, the way you just said it was so, like, she's missing. missing. (laughs) So, anyway, (laughs) like, I don't know. You just said it's funny. Sorry. Continue. (laughs) Okay. We can finish strong with this. We're like, we gotta be like halfway there, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sounds of the page turning. paper shifting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great. That doesn't exactly fill me with confidence, no, but I love though, it anyway. Emily says seeing it's part of the MO. The cop shows up and is like, hey, name is missing. And they're like, well, the other women weren't found for two days after, so she could still be alive. Let's go give the profile. And then it cuts to a man at a recording studio, and, like, the light's all weird, so you, like, can't see his race or anything. And then he puts on his headphone, and he's, like, listening to girls introducing themselves. They make it sound like a lot of girls. It's two girls. Uh, and then he's remembering beating the shit out of Sandor. Great. Hotch gives the profile. Black male between the ages of 20 and 35... He's black because his victims are within his own race, and she's serial killer stick within their own race. These are low-risk victims. They finally use low-risk correctly because they're so like... So proud of them. Yeah, they're like good, clean girls, so the guy has to be charming and smart, etc. And then Reed starts talking about Jeffrey Dahmer, and there's the worst green screen. They're like, green screen <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's bad. What it's is so that? Good. What is that? I hate it. So they're like, maybe the killer's posing as a... Oh, then they... Hotch does the story of a killer who's posing as a producer. So they're like, maybe this guy's in the music industry. Because all these girls like singing, maybe he's in the music industry. He's probably got a nicest car. It's probably a large black sedan. And they're like, JJ, go publicly spread the profile. And Derek says, you know, all these people fell for it, but there must have been someone who didn't fall for it. And that's who we need to find. And Hodge is like, yeah, and the souvenir is important. So we need to figure out the souvenir. JJ gets a phone call. Oh, JJ gets a phone call and, like, steps out to take it. But she gets it. And then, like, as she's leaving, she, like, looks at Emily and is like, I'm going outside. And Emily, like, nods. And she's like, okay, we're right back, Emily. <laughs> Gotta make sure your GF knows where you're going. Obviously. So then they mention that it's after the ritual, after he gets the souvenir, that he kills them. That's important. So then they're like, okay, we need to surveil places like the churches, the high schools, the library, coffee shops. And we're going to keep an eye out for a black man in a large sedan. So, okay, let's talk about this because I feel like this is really relevant in recent years. I understand the danger of putting out a profile like that because then suddenly every black man in a dark car is the target. Mm-hmm. I also don't think they needed to put it on the news. He already has a girl. So in theory, we're safe for the night. Why didn't they just go to the schools in the morning and are like, hey, girls, 
this is who you should be on the lookout for. Like in every other time, I feel like they go to the schools and they're like, we got to do the buddy system now. We've got to do this. Like there are ways to avoid, okay, you don't want this huge in public. Don't, again, like why does the white families need to be warned about this guy when he has such a specific demographic? Also, yeah, I feel like a lot of times, especially in later seasons, they always try and go to the group that, like, it will matter the most to. Like, that becomes, like, a thing that they do quite frequently. Yeah, and they've been doing it, but they decide this time, because, again, like, sorry, what teenage girls are just, like, reading the news, like, looking at the news at night, you know? Like, go to school in the morning, tell them what's going on, and then they go. Yeah, it's just, it was so, it was weird to me, too. I think it is also very weird that they did did it this way. Yeah. Actually. So the cops are on their way out. And the mayor and Detective Ware stop them. And they're like, we can't release the profile. We can't make everyone scared of, like, this violent black man. We need to talk about we got to do something else. So they're standing around. And I thought that this was a really interesting moment to me. And I think it would mean a lot more to a black person than it is to me. But the mayor is talking about like, I don't want the black community to be angry at me. I mm-hmm. don't want like white people to be on the hunt for a black person. And then he goes, Detective Ware is more than capable of handling this. And Detective Ware gets this like weird look on his face and he like and he and Derek exchange a look. And I was like, is it supposed to be like the mayor's handing it off to him because he's black? But on the other hand, like he's the only detective we've met. I like is it like our guys can handle it, or is it the black cop can handle the black crime? I couldn't tell. I could. I don't think I can tell either. Yeah, and that's what really messes me up about this next portion of the episode is like, I don't know what message Criminal Minds is trying to tell me. Are we doing a local politician bad, or are we doing racism exists? <laughs> like, what is the <laughs> message? You know, are we doing both? Are we like, what is going on here? Yeah, and they don't want to. They don't want to say it. And Derek is like, if we give the profile, we catch the guy, and then we stop the crime from happening. Correct. That is the goal here, that we do stop the crime from happening. I wonder if this is also a case of, like, they didn't want the profile to not be a big part of the case. Like, I don't think this is necessarily a case that needed a public profile that needed such a specific profile. Like, I feel like if they had just gone to the school, talked to the black girls who like to sing at the church, they would have heard about a creeper, given out his card, and trying to get girls to meet him in the park, and we would have been done. Like, it just felt so unnecessary to have this community, racist undertones, cops bad, race riot cover, which, like, I think is interesting and should be talked about, but then they don't talk about it. They just like stick it on top and then they're like, yeah. make of that what you will. 
have y'all heard about racism? <laughs> like, yeah, it's you know, so sometimes, weird. Sometimes it's racial profiling. Oh, and then Gideon says, it's not racial profiling. It's a profile that includes race. Which I get. <sighs> this is, this and the conversation that Ware and Derek have also frustrated me. Because they're like, I wish race didn't matter. I wish we could just ignore race. And like, yes, of course. But race, the show wants to be like, what if race didn't matter? Race shouldn't matter. We shouldn't care. We shouldn't do this. But like, it does. And it needs to be taken into account. And it frustrates me that nobody, like, why did Derek and Rare not have an actual conversation where they were like, like, why didn't Ware say, I'm afraid it's me that's going to get shot. I'm a black man. I'm a cop. Like, Derek and Ware could have had a conversation about being black and being in law enforcement. And they had some weird little, we're quoting Martin Luther King, judge me not by the color of my skin, but by the contents of my character. And then he got shot. It was like, it's not a perfect world. And I think it would have been more meaningful if we had gotten to hear where's fear. You know, I'm a black man. I'm in this community. Yes, I'm a cop, but when I'm not wearing my uniform, I'm just a black man in the community. And then to see him get shot because the person didn't know he was a cop. You know? Like, I wish it had been vocalized, that fear. Yeah. And instead, they got this little, like, black people will get it. And then white people get the whatever, you know? And instead, we get well, the guy who shot him was just one bad white guy. The rest of the white guys are fine. You know, because Hotch is like, and you shot him? Like, finger waving. But it's like, that's not okay. You know? And I don't think there's anything wrong. Like, let Derek talk about being black. Let him talk about being black. They never let him. It's always just kind of hinted at. Yeah. And that, that, that frustrates me. Okay. It was so fucking weird. Yeah. So then the psychic cop is like, hey, we found Naomi's body. And then there's like a bunch of reporters outside and JJ is like, there's a bunch of people out there. Oh, JJ Alphacheck. JJ Alphacheck? I approve her sweater vest because it is a proper sweater vest. No final. No more of this like abomination sweater vest shit. This is a sweater vest. The only criticism I have, JJ girl, tuck in your goddamn button downs. What is it with JJ and not tucking? These untucked button downs. Fucking, what is up? She looks sloppy as hell. Exactly. I have no idea, and I'm so confused by it all. It's just so like, all right. But she looks cute. So then where is like, fine, we'll do the press conference. I'll give the profile. Um, I also, what I would have liked though, what we don't get is what would have happened if he didn't give the profile? Like we didn't hear like, well, if we don't give the profile, here's all the things we're going to have to do. There was none of that. You know, I just like, I would have liked to hear how not having a profile would have made things harder, but they don't do it. And then he's like, I'm afraid it's going to bite us in the ass. Um, whatever. Oh, and yeah, okay, I made some notes. I, mm-hmm. I 
said like, okay, I get his fear is going to bite them in the ass. I get his thing of like, it's going to make white people scared of black men. But I was like, one, you've already got neo-Nazi groups in your area. Yeah. You already have a problem. Yeah. Two, I thought you said this was like a more liberal area. So like, why do you think everyone's immediately going to hate black people? And three, didn't you emphasize the victim profile? You know? Yeah. So the poor little white people wouldn't be scared? Whatever. So then they're like, okay, we're going to talk to the kids at the school and get info and give a profile. And then Emily, like, goes off to do that. And, and she's never seen again. <laughs> then she just, like, comes back and nothing comes of it. It was, like, a really weird, like, okay. And then JJ sets up a tip line. And Derek goes to where and is like, hey, do you want to join on the patrol? And where's like, yeah, it's better than just waiting around here. So then I guess we skip some time and JJ comes in and is like, hey, we got, oh, we've gotten a bunch of tips in. So far, they've implicated the local minister, a janitor, and Reverend Jesse Jackson. We does love that. Yeah. And then we get a call that someone saw an unfamiliar black man with a large dark sedan. And JJ's like, that's the second time someone's seen that sedan. They really mentioned that, like, Lincoln Town car or whatever. Yeah, they do that later. But also, like, I was like, I would just like someone to acknowledge that Derek and Ware are black. Like. Yeah. Derek could be the unfamiliar black man. You know? Yeah. Whatever. And I I said, don't send them in a black car to the house they got the tip from. (laughs) Yeah, that just does seem bad, idea-wise. Yeah, so they get a car, and they get a call. Derek finds out about the car, whatever. And then Ware, like, lowers his visor, sun visor, to get gum, and you see pictures of his family. And it was like, at the last second, we had to be given a reason why he's sad. We can't just be sad that a black man is dead. It has to be because, you know. He has a family. He has a family. That's why it's sad. They see, oh, they have the conversation about race where, where it's like, I wish race wasn't an issue, but like it is. They quote MLA. Oh, and then where is like. Did you just say MLA instead of MLK? Oh. (laughs) Yeah. uh Uh-huh. I'm an academic, Uh I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I live or die by the MLA. Oh, yes. Okay. They court MLK. I was like, that's on the nose. And then where is like the reverend is causing all sorts of trouble. I feel like in a lot of white written media, there's a lot of that like people of color, gay people, women, they do a lot of that like we don't want to cause any trouble. Don't make trouble. They already don't like us. And if you make trouble, they're just going to dislike us more. So let's just keep it cool and keep a low profile. And then somebody is like, no, we got to be loud. And, and keeping a low profile is what's keeping them in power. And then they, someone dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that's such a trope. And I hate it. It's really fucking annoying. It it's- is. Yeah. yeah. No, just, I, I have nothing to add. Just, yeah. It's fucking like it. weird and annoying. 
Yeah, and so then the guy's like, the mayor's scared of upsetting the black people, which, like, I get, but again, they're only 8% of this town. Like, Yeah, again, they mentioned that, and then I feel like they were, like, completely acting differently. Like, I get that they... They were acting like it was the inverse that was true. It was just weird. Yeah, I was like... I don't think the mayor would see that as like a problem for re-election. And I I I don't know. Like if it if the county were like 50-50 torn and it was a little more of like a are we a black county or a white county, I guess I could get it. But instead, they made the black people in the county this tiny, tiny minority. And then... Single digits percentage-wise, by the way, they said. 8%. 8%. Single digits. They made them this tiny percentage, made them the victims, and then also made them the troublemakers. Completely ignoring the whole neo-Nazi problem they mentioned earlier. It's like... like they can't be both the victims. I mean, it, right, they can't, sure. But in a, in a good story, they shouldn't be both the victims and the villains and the heroes, but not them have any power. It was just super weird. This okay. was a badly written episode. It really was. So, oh, and then... Derek is like, community leaders and politicians are going to do what they're going to do, and we're going to do what we're going to do. We're the foot soldiers. We're the people who actually get shit done. And I was like, so you're just like, who cares about having any power over our situation? We're like on the ground. And I like, I get what he's saying, but at the same time, you shouldn't just be like, yeah, who cares if everyone in power and all the leaders and decision makers are white? We're the ones putting our lives at risk. Like, and that's a very poignant political point. And they just sort of like gloss over that. I I wish they talked more about Derek and that whole thing. They really, they gloss over this with all of the fucking grace of an elephant. Like, they just really are like, whatever. They really let Derek say, oh, I'm fine with white people being in charge as long as they're like good white people. You know, I'm, I'm the one risking my life and that makes me better. I'm fine with dying for these white people who are in charge. It's just weird. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. I wouldn't do that for straight people. I do not do that for straight people. Yeah, I don't. Or like men. I don't understand it. I don't understand why they have made Derek the way that he is. I don't know. Okay. Then they see a black town car drive by. And they're like, that's fucking him. Also, the fact that it's a Lincoln town car when those are one of the cars that are most often used for chauffeurs. Like, that's a chauffeur car. Yeah, that's like for some sure. Uber X 
uber black shit you know <laughs> that's the fancy uber option that i never pick absolutely not uh, miranda Priestley from there was prada got driven around in lincoln town cars okay random so then derek and the guy go and they park behind it they look in the car it's empty and they hear the sound of a fence rattling okay not to victim blame but why are they just going through people's backyards with their guns out in the middle of the night like like if we put the race aside right you just shouldn't do that period you just shouldn't do that but then you, you shouldn't add, do that you add on that both of you are black and people are looking at us like at the very least you're gonna get the cops called on you who might just shoot you on sight and at the worst is what happened a white dude with a gun thinking he's a hero shooting you and like like why not call for backup apparently there's a bunch who joined a patrol there are other cops around call them call, call them. somebody call somebody and then they get mad at the white guy for not calling somebody but it's like you didn't call anybody okay and then it turns out to be a car service false alarm we hear the shot and weir is on the ground and derek is like give me your fucking gun i'm the fbi what the fuck go call 911 and then we're like we're like dies in his arms we're like yeah. i have a son and then I'm dead. And I said that at the end of the day, being black is more of a... Being black is the more visible characteristic over being law enforcement. They weren't wearing vests. They weren't wearing their like FBI thing or anything. Yeah. It was two black men with guns sneaking through people's backyards. Which again, no reason to be shot. Should have called the cops. No one should get shot randomly like that. But also, like, where's whole thing was that he was terrified that people would attack black men on sight, and yet took no precautions there. So I just wish the episode hadn't done that. You know, police bad. Being a police just makes you stupid. This is just such a, it's just such a fucking, whatever. It's just yeah. so fucking weird. It's hard. Let's continue. Yeah, so Hot shows up. They talk to the white guy, and the white guy's like, I didn't know he was a cop. I saw the car, and I saw a black man with a gun. And Hot is like, so you shot him? And the point's like, he should have called the cops. And I was like, oh, they're just showing that also white people are bad. And then Hot goes to Derek and is like, are you okay? And Derek just like shakes his head and can't even say anything. Um, another girl has gone missing another good girl JJ and Gideon JJ and the Gideon are sitting in the dark in the police station and I was like I get that it's after hours but like you can keep a light on like just, <laughs> just headquarters turn the power off like they're literally at a desk with one desk light on I was like why to show us it's nighttime? We know it's nighttime. Whatever. Reed runs in and he's like, hey, 
We got a tip. There was a teenage girl who was approached by a guy who said he worked for a record company. Great. They go, Derek and Gideon go talk to the girl. After choir practice, this guy's like, hey, I'm a record producer. I scout for talent. I want to record you. Here's your business card. And the girl's like, there's no company, only his name and his number. And she's like, it looks so fake. And they were like, did you keep the card? And she's like, I didn't need to. I know him. And then there's like a sound effect. That I was just like, As oh, there oh. is. So then Garcia's like, I thought you weren't going to call me. And it's JJ Reed and Derek are like cramped together again on this desk with a single light calling. And they're like, we need you to look this guy up. He's a freelance musician. He played the keyboard in the high school girls musical. Um, His name's Terrence Wakeland. He's probably associated with a record studio or producing company. Cool. It turns out he's used to work at a studio in Mount Vernon called R A and L Studio, and he still works there as a security guard. Bum bum bum. Bum. So then Ali, the girl, and Terrence are at the studio, and they do this like intercut thing of like. So this is why this is what I remembered. Like, oh yeah, once he records her voice, he has his souvenir. He's gonna kill her because that's what they said. As soon as yeah. he gets his souvenir, she's dead. So yeah. they have to race before that happens. And Derek is like, what are the chances that we get her alive? And then we see Ali singing in the studio and the guy's watching. And then Hodge is like, the road's closed with construction. Is this the best way? Whatever. The guy's giving her like a ton of flattery. He gives her water and we can see that he fakes cracking it open for her. So that when she unscrews it, she's not like, why is it already open? Because he's drugged it. Which is admittedly very smart and terrifying, actually. Yeah. So then we see like slow-mo and he's talking like, once you hear that voice, there's no letting it go. It like consumes me. And she's like getting drugged and like all slow-mo and stuff. And he's like, are you all right? As she's like, um, and then he says, have you ever seen something so beautiful? You can't let it live. It can't be alive. It's too beautiful. It can't be alive. And then he just like punches her. in the face. Yeah. He's like, if I see something that beautiful, it reminds me that I'm ugly. And she's like, I don't feel good. And he punches her and he goes, oh, so you think I'm ugly? You think I'm ugly? And then she just kicks him in the crotch. Which out. so true, Queen Go Girl. I was like, dude, what happened to you? What happened to this guy? <laughs> What's going on with this What's dude? His whole situation? What's this whole deal? Like, again, this is such an interesting killer. And they're just like wasted. last three minutes of the episode. Get also, we gotta have a resolution. Is like, are you okay? Have you ever seen something so beautiful you can't let it live? Like, the, his back and forth is wild. And then when he goes on, he's like, sorry, she's my cousin. Like, whatever. And you're like, where, good. where's that rage you just Yeah, had? exactly. Like, who is this man? David um, Ramsey, you did a good job playing a killer. I just wish we could have gotten you for longer, dude. I know. Um, she goes onto the street. She's like yelling for help. The police get to the studio. Derek and Hotch are going through. 
It's messy. Oh, Derek picks up a stack of recordings of girls' voices with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, I was like, all right. And he's like, the souvenirs are her are the voices, collecting voices. And then a cop outside is talking to a sex worker. She's like against the wall, and the cop is like, I mean, that sounds like your problem. That's the <laughs> line we get from him. So I was like, oh. They really tried to, like, they really told this dude with no prompting, like, hey, you just got to say something. We just need some sort of lead in here. And he's like, I, 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 your problem, I guess. Like, sounds like your problem. So then he sees her and he's like, hey, are you okay? And Terrence appears and is like, this is my baby cousin, Allie, oh my God. And cop's like, do you know him? And the, but the cop asking those questions delayed them enough for the BAU and the cops to arrive. They get Allie and the guy is like, this is about those murdered girls, isn't it? And I was like, that's a weird thing to ask. Uh, and then, oh yeah, all the cops, the white cops, like want to shoot this guy. Yeah, They're like for he's sure. not gonna let her go. Let's shoot him. And Derek is like, "Put your fucking guns down. Like we are not killing another black man today." Yeah, but also like any criminal, the f- he does, the guy doesn't even have a gun. He is unarmed. Like. Shooting should never be step one, ever. And I like that Derek just kind of yells down. They do lower their guns, but it was like, it was like, why is your first instinct to just like kill him? He's he literally not him. armed. Literally not armed, and it's literally in our U.S. Constitution that we deserve a fair trial. We don't deserve. We have the right to a fair trial by a jury of our peers. Bold of you to so. assume that police give a shit about the Constitution. Especially recently? Girl. Bold of me to assume any of our lawmakers give a fuck about the Constitution. Okay. Bold of you to assume any of us give a shit about the Constitution anymore as well. Let's be... I'm fine. Okay. So then the guy releases Allie. Derek arrests him, shoves him in the car. We cut to the funeral. Derek is there watching the family trench court era. He is really in his, like, widow who has disappeared era. Like, he's just, like, standing in the back under a tree with sunglasses. Hodge is friends with Emily now, and so now he's a little emo. (laughs) He's really in his, like, emo. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't realize, it didn't occur to me until here, the little boy standing in front of the coffin, and I was like, oh, my God. Literally Derek. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, this is just like Derek. And then I was surprised the first time I watched this that Emily was the one that showed up at the funeral. I get it. They're in their besties era now. Yeah, I get it. I just like, again, this could have been Hotch showing up and Derek and Hotch having like a conversation. And instead, Emily's like, hey, how's it going? And Hotch is like, his father's dead. I know how hard that is. And Emily says, well, his father died a hero. And Derek says, so did mine. It doesn't make it any easier. And then Emily just, like, watches him walk off. We get a lot of mystery Emily looks this episode. <laughs> and I, I, who know Emily's whole lore, don't understand what these looks mean. <laughs> I 
this last look is weird. This last right? one is weird. It's like zoomed in on her face as she like watches him go. Maybe she's like deciding to find the book that she finds. But it was just like, why is she like with her hangover sunglasses just watching him emo leave? She's like, oh no, my emo-ness is washing off on Derek Morgan. Maybe do you think this is potentially like a, hey, I also know what it's like to grow up without a father type thing? I do headcanon that her dad is dead. And we meet her mom in four, three episodes. And yeah, very no soon. Mentioned. Yeah, no father mentioned. Um, yeah. And I think it is supposed to be some sort of mystery hit. But again, nothing comes of it. So like, it's like, yeah, is it a mystery They absolutely lost their... Uh lost their emily post-it note after this season for a while but like i think the problem is they dropped all these hints early on and then we're like oh shit patrick bruce is going to be in this show for the next five years we can't have her backstory come out in season three yeah well let's put it off then yeah (laughs) put it it off off a little bit nothing comes away okay we're on the plane okay jj is laying on the couch with her blue blanket that they all have like reading a book i saw her and i was like Hell yeah, comfy girl era. Gideon is like reading or eating a snack or something. Hotches, I didn't see him at all. So Emily comes in and goes, oops, and drops a book on the table. And Derek sees it and is like, oh my God, it's Mother Night. And Emily's like, yeah, can you believe it? I found it at the airport. I found this incredibly famous author's book at the the airport. Wow. Like, and Emily's like, I know I haven't read this in 15, I mean, 12 years. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, Emily, make yourself three years younger. Hey, quick question. Yeah. If Emily's accessing... Uh, what? If Emily's accessing, like... Um, if Emily's accessing, like, airport bookstores, does that mean that the gang is having to go through airport security? And does that mean that Reed should get caught with his fucking shitload of drugs on him? I can see him not getting pinned, you know, like when they leave. Because they usually board right from the fucking tarmac or whatever, right? But, like, she mentions that she went to the airport bookstore for this. Do they just get a free pass because they're federal agents? Or it must be, right? There's well, no other we, way this makes sense. In in the first episode, though, when they go to the Seattle field office, we do see them have to put their briefcases through the machine and they have to walk through the metal detectors. Yeah. It's just, I just thought of that right now because I, Reed had two bottles of vials. drugstore heroin on him. Yeah, two vials. <laughs> Like, maybe they were less than 32 ounces. Is that how many ounces? I just, I, that just occurred to me right now. No, that. And that was sort of like an asked and answered kind of thing, but like. 3.4 ounces. I. No, you know what I think happened? I think they get their own special little tarmac. Terminal or something? Yeah, a special little, like, entrance. But Emily was like, one second. 
I need and to like, go bounce out with the real people for a second and I'm get this incredibly I'm popular book. Yeah, oh. like, I don't know. Sorry, that Hilarious. just occurred to me and I had to ask it. No, you're so correct. Thank you. You're I have so my good. moments sometimes. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. I know I have my moments of brilliance. Uh, and then I said Demily Rights. All very true. Yeah, this episode is Demily Rights. Um... Okay, so then Derek and Reed are playing cards while this happens. And then Derek is like, hey, you okay? And Reed, like, doesn't hear him for, like, a bit. And then Derek is like, dude, what the fuck? And then Reed's like, I'm fine. Thanks for broadcasting. <laughs> I was like, okay, you're on a tiny airplane. Everyone can hear everything. When Derek is like, whatever you say to me stays in confidence. I was like, this is the tiny airplane. It's completely <laughs> open. Everyone can Literally. hear everything, obviously. Like, okay. Uh, but then he says that, like, he's like, I won't freak out. I can still do my job. And I was like, did he go to therapy? He did, did he? not go to therapy at all. Are you kidding me? There was no date on this. Like, we don't know how long it's been. Um, no therapy at all. None. Which is like, that has to be mandatory. Absolutely should be. Also, taking time off, like, like hello? They make them take time off later, right? Or therapy and time uh, off. Emily does have to do therapy after something. Maybe after minimal loss. She does therapy just, and she lies and says, she talks about like that, her boyfriend, Sergio, who's her cat, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, actually, that might be in season seven. So after you know who. And that whole sitch. You know who, you know I what. Think, but I think there's also an earlier moment with the Sergio thing, I think. Yeah, this is a lot of a few things. He poops in a box. Okay. Perfect man. So then Reed admits that he has trouble looking at crime scene photos because now he knows what it's like and like what they were experiencing. And again, I was like, therapy. So then, therapy. so then Derek is like, that's called empathy. It's good. It'll make you a better person. Didn't Gideon say this to Reed in episode one? Wasn't that like a whole, there was a whole thing about like, don't lose your empathy. It's okay that it bothers you. Yes. Right? They had that conversation. So I just thought that was interesting that they're having the exact same conversation. Again. Again. With a different person with the same conversation. Just so weird. And that's the episode. And that's the episode. Grafonica never comes up again, by the way, so don't hold your breath. No pins. Never comes up again. Oh, I wasn't about to hold my breath. Don't worry. I wasn't on the edge of my seat with that one. Send the audience to put your pins away. Hey, did they say the name of the episode? In this episode, Fear and Loathing? I don't think no. they did, did they? No. Nope. Uh, really quick, let me look up what the book Fear and Loathing is about. In Las Vegas. And then they didn't say Wheels Up, right? No. A lot of no's in that Wheels Up column this season. We had two hits early on and then nothing since episode six. I know six. they say it in Jones. That's all I can help you we have well, there's a lot of frowny faces in that column my boy a lot of frowny faces there yeah. <laughs> like like 14 frowny faces <laughs> hey 
James. Yeah. What are you ranking this episode? Scale of one to ten. How low do we go? How low can we go? How, How low, low do we go? I'm giving honestly, I've given this episode like a fucking three. A three. But Yeah. The Emily and Derek moments are what makes it a three. The lore, the Emily, I'm a nerd. Have you ever seen me without a certain next speech? <laughs> gives it a three. Yeah. And I need you to know that everything else is a zero. It's like the Emily moments are a ten, the rest of the episode's a zero, and I'm so averaging it evens out. Yeah. I think I'm gonna go with you. But I think I might go even a little bit lower. I think I might go two. Do it. I think I'm going to go with a two. Between the Emily stuff and like how much talking we got out of it, I think it's a three for me. But here's the thing, James, is you and I could talk about a fucking paper bag for three hours. <laughs> Unfortunately. Like, yeah, sure, we had a good conversation, but like also, you and I, the way that we riff, we could do that about just about fucking anything. That's true. Okay. I'll go with you on a two. You're going to lower it to a two? Oh, yeah. lowest rated episode this season. Even lower than Fisher King Part 2. What if we rate Fisher King Part 2? A uh, four. Yeah. Both of us <laughs> gave it a four. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we... Also, I mean, like this is this is my lowest ranked episode this season. The only one that came close was Lessons Learned at a at a three. So, um, this is also your lowest of the season as well. That's so funny because Lessons Learned is another one that I did so much research for. We talked about so much shit, but I was like, but I hate it. But I do hate yeah. it. Sometimes the things that we do intense research for are worse. I just need everyone to know it's bad with sources. <laughs> it's bad, and here's my here's my receipts. Like, that's it for this week. If you want to, you can follow us on Twitter or Tumblr or Instagram or wherever at Wheels Up Pod. New episodes come out every other Wednesday ish. And you can find everything at uh, anchor.fm slash wheels up pod. You can also leave us like voice messages if you want to like correct us on something. Or if you have a fucking correction, you would like to email to us, you know, fucking 12 point times new Roman font with MLA sources attached and everything. You can do so at wheels up at brightcrownmedia.com. You can just email us directly if you want. You just fucking just email us sources. Sure. I check that yeah. email inbox. It's there. I'll get a little notification on my fancy watch and everything. I also want to say I highly encourage you to, I guess if you're American, to look up a list of race riots in America. The Tulsa race riot, Chicago, LA, the various Florida ones, Cincinnati. I highly recommend doing research into them because it provides a huge insight on where we are today and how politicians today talk about race and why certain dog whistles are the way they are. So I highly recommend doing research, a little bit of American history research. So true, bestie. Mm -hmm. Final thing this episode. James? Like James, Derek Morgan. Give me oh. a quote. Oh, hi, beloved. Beloved. I, I'm, I'm 
I'm trying it out. I'm trying it out. I was like, I felt like I was saying Jay and I was like, I want to add something to that. And my brain was like, well, you can just call them like Jay Bird. And I'm like, that's a dumb little nickname, but I kind of think it's cute. And then I was like, well, what about just Jay, my beloved? You know, you're my beloved, my little (laughs) Blorbo from my podcast. (laughs) I'm so happy to get Blorbo from your podcast. Give me an ending quote, Blorbo. Like, Derek says to Penelope Garcia, we need you now more than ever, hot stuff. <laughs> so true. The other one that I really liked, Hotch looks at Gideon and says, is community vigilance enough? And Gideon says, well, if it were, we'd be out of a job. <laughs> yeah, good point. Incredibly grim humor, but it is very funny. Hotch is like, yeah. <laughs> I